You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. And I can tell you firsthand that they have some really good people working for that company. They have literally thousands of retail stores all over the United States and running those retail stores are battery specialists. So if you need a specific battery for a rangefinder, for your truck, for your TV remote control, for your trail cameras, Interstate Batteries is the place that you need to go. They have absolutely every kind of battery that you need. And I have a buddy who's a car nut and he tells me that Interstate Batteries makes the best truck and car batteries. So take that how you want it. Really good company, really awesome products. Interstatebatteries.com for more information or just stop by your local Interstate Batteries retail, uh, retail store and talk with a specialist today. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Uh, On this episode, I have to start off doing a little bit of housekeeping and kind of sharing some recent bad luck, um, bad news with everyone. And I just want to be upfront with all of you because this is going to impact not only my business, the Sportsman's Nation and the Nine Finger Chronicles, but it's going to ultimately affect my family as well. And it really sucks. And there's nothing, I mean, I don't even know what to say really. Um, I was on Sunday afternoon, my Instagram and Facebook accounts were hacked. Facebook, uh, whoever hacked into my accounts, they posted some pictures or some images or made a post that violated the Facebook and Instagram uh, community policies, uh, terms and conditions, whatever. So some really bad shit. And now Facebook and Instagram, they quickly and understandably, right? They did the right thing. They shut down my account. So whoever had control of it could not post any more bad stuff. Um, The next thing that happened is I try to log in. It blocks me. I go and I follow all of the Facebook processes. I I, uh, fill out a form 
I, and this is all online. I fill out a form. I take a selfie with my driver's license in it. I submit it. I get an email back saying, um, your Facebook and Instagram accounts have been permanently deleted. I did it again. Uh, just to see, you know, because at this point I'm freaking out, right? I can't do my job without social media. And so I I respond, I try to do it again, and I get another email. It says the exact same thing except one sentence at the end that says, this is the last email you will get about this topic. So within a matter of one hour, Six years of branding, hard work, and dedication uh, on my social media side, right? Not only my personal page that has literally hundreds upon hundreds of pictures of my family on it. A hacker logged in and I don't even know if I'm going to be able to ever get any of that back. The the business side of things, something that I've I've worked on the Nine Finger Chronicles brand now for six years, and I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to log into a Facebook account again. Instagram, I you know not to sound cocky or anything, but I just hit a, a mark of twelve thousand followers, all organic type followers. And, um, I thought 2020 was going to be just this excellent, awesome year. And now I am having a, a really big issue, even getting a hold of somebody on Facebook. Every time I do some research on, um, on the internet, it just seems like a scenario like this, Facebook and Instagram kind of just chop you off and they say, you know, sorry, you're done. So I, I honestly, at this point, I have no clue what to do. The last four days have been four or five days have been me reaching out to almost every single person that I know, trying to get some form of, uh, communication with Facebook or Instagram, just so I can plead my case that if I can't get my social media accounts back, and if I can never use Instagram again or Facebook again, my business does not exist. And that's six years worth of grinding my balls off to get where I am today. And this happens. Within a matter of 30 seconds, somebody got a hold of my account, posted an image, and ruined, ruined my business. I can still put out the podcasts, but I can't promote them. Right. So how do I get new people? Right. Just word of mouth. Yeah, that's great. But unfortunately for business, social media, Instagram and Facebook are damn near mandatory. It's a necessity. It's something you have to have to be successful. And I no longer have access to those uh, Facebook and Instagram. So I am reaching out to all of you at the beginning of this podcast, and I don't want to really ruin the mood because this podcast is a really good podcast, but if you have any insight, any information, please send me an email 
at Nine Finger Chronicles. This is all spelled out. Nine Finger Chronicles at gmail.com. I am willing to do just about anything to get my Instagram and Facebook pages back up and running. Um, this hacker, he'll go back, he'll go a, about his day every single day as normal from now on. My life has been changed forever if I can't get these back up and running. So if you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, if you for some reason work at Facebook or Instagram, please send me an email, ninefingerchronicles at gmail.com. And all I want to do is talk with someone who will hear me out. Like just talk to me. I just want somebody to like... I feel like I've been I, I I feel like I've really been taken advantage of and I I feel like my family has been taken advantage of because when you take the food out of my kid's mouth that is what frustrates me the most. If it was just some silly Facebook page that I had no connection with, you know, big deal. I I'll get over it. But I can't even log on through another account. I'm I'm dead in the water right now. So I'm basically asking anybody who will listen to please reach out to me. And, and if you know somebody, if you know somebody who knows somebody, if you work for Facebook or you work for Instagram, please, uh, please hit me up. And I would absolutely love to uh, chat with you, to plead my case, to share the story and at least talk with a human. All I've been getting back from Instagram and Facebook are auto-generated reports and or auto, auto-generated emails. So it's just like, I don't even think there's humans in this process at all. It's all uh, um, algorithms and computers and that's it. So, um, yeah, so there's that. Pretty shitty week, if you ask me. Um, I'm trying to remain as humanly positive. I'm trying to remain as positive as humanly possible. Um, but everything I read on the internet does not sound good. I'm not going to give up. If I have to fly to San Francisco and just pick it on the street and hand out pamphlets with my story on it, hand out my business card, uh, I'll do it. Uh, but um, I am just... I guess I'm I'm looking for a little help, <laughs> to be honest with you. So there's my story. It's a shitty one, but um, you know I'll take any any help I can get at this point. But let me tell you that today's podcast should be a bright story. It should be something that's highlighted because we have um, today's guest Scott Cronin. Um, he works for a company called uh, Scholastic. 3D archery. And what these guys do is they get children involved in all the way from elementary school to high school and even help with the transition into collegiate um, archery. They're getting the youth involved and not only just in archery, but they're helping them make the transition from being a competitive archer to buying a hunting license and becoming a bow hunter. So we have a really cool story on today's episode. I don't want the the negative energy on the front end to affect the back end of this episode, but uh, Scholastic 3D Archery is doing some really good things for kids and helping non-hunters become 
hunters through archery, which just seems like it's the perfect low-hanging fruit to snatch. So uh, Scott's going to walk us through all of that. But we got to do a commercial. As always, we have to talk about uh, our, our title sponsor, and that's Vortex Optics. Vortex is one of those brands that I guess I would call a staple in the hunting industry. They not only make a kick-ass product i've met some of the people that work for the company and as i've always said since day one i love working with companies who have good people working for them and i've met a lot in the last uh you know couple years that i have not only used vortex optics but um, be, you know, since they've became um, partners on this particular podcast, I'm telling you right now, they have some ph- phenomenal people working for that company. They make some phenomenal products, you know, um, rifle scopes, binos, range finders, spotting scopes. And the best part about all that is, is if you damage or break this product, you send it to them, they will fix it for free and get it back to you. And if they can't fix it, they'll send you a new pair, right? This company is doing things that a lot of other companies are starting to pick up on and are doing, but these guys have led the way not only in excellent customer service, but I guess just excellent products as well and just being a really good company that uh, really does support the 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 hunting community and not just themselves. So um, vortexoptics.com, if you want to find out more about the products that these guys offer, I highly recommend them. Other than that, let's try to stay positive going into this episode because it really is an, an awesome episode. Uh, here we, we now are going to start it with Scott Cronin of Scholastic 3D Archery. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. And today we have a very unique episode, and uh, we've been trying to touch base on this episode for, oh man, quite some time now. And finally, it's fallen into the schedule, and we've got it. We're, we're finally here, and, and we're talking with Scott Cronin, right? That's correct. I said your name right. That's the most important thing, Scott Cronin of uh three or s3 da and we're going to get into all of that on this episode but scott before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode why don't you let everybody know what do you do for a living and uh we'll we'll start from there and where do you live all right i'm i'm a i'm a farm raised kid out of kentucky i'm 41 years old now i been teaching high school agriculture for 21 years of my life and along that journey i've i've tried to take a a role in helping promote conservation get kids out in the woods and on the water and i've taken on the responsibility of being the national coordinator in relationship to conservation outreach with scholastic 3d archery so besides being a dad and a husband and a and a just a normal guy and trying to hunt and fish a little bit on my free time i've I've figured out a way to keep myself busy and occupied and employed with my hobbies so right how many kids do you have i have one daughter i have addison grace cronin she's my pride and joy she's (laughs) the wise wisdom eight-year-old little girl that's uh the princess of of my castle so. that's right that's right she uh does she get fired up about hunting and fishing like her daddy does 
Oh yeah, she's she's my she's my go-to girl now. I'll tell you right now, she is. Uh, she has her time and her her place in the house to play with her dolls and do her girly things. But uh, she's she's done pretty well for herself. She's punched a few tags and she enjoys getting out there and and uh, I enjoy spending time with her. And, and to be honest with you, it's it's probably the most rewarding part of my hunting career up to this point. So it's I see nothing but great things ahead. Yeah. I, uh, I like filling my own tags, right? Don't get me wrong. I like going out and and being by myself out in the woods and stuff like that. But there is a part of me that really enjoys taking other people out like my wife or buddies or new hunters or, you know, I just, I can't wait to get my kids out because I think my life will change once I can go out with my kids. I think, and you're going to have to correct me. Uh, or let me know what your experience is here, but I feel like I'll be able to get out and hunt more once I can start including my kids with me. Uh, I think you're right. I, uh, I can tell you this much. I can tell you that at 26 years of age or 21 or wherever I was at in life, I used to look at men like myself and say, man, I'll never be like that. But guess what, Dan, I'm there right now. I'm the, I'm the guy that's telling the people what I used to do. Yeah. And, uh, all that but uh you know there's you you become a dad and uh you come committed to it and dedicated to it just like you are as a as a bow hunter or you know uh, anything as far as being a good employee there's going to be a birthday party here and there and you know we were in our 20s we went through all of our buddies getting married now it's going to chuck e cheese and bouncing bees and and it seems like every other weekend uh sometimes twice on the same day seems like every child was born either on opening weekend of turkey season or right in the middle of a rut. So uh, I can't I can't tell you what the secret is about that, but I can tell you one thing. If, if, if you're out there and you're listening to this podcast, if you're 26, 27 years old and thinking about getting married, uh, your hunting budget's going to go downhill because you're going to be buying birthday gifts every every other week and, and uh, your gas budget to go back and forth to birthday parties is going to tap into going on an out-of-state hunt. So. Right. Yeah, that's a fact, Jack. I got three of them. And like, yeah. I'm lucky to do what I do, right? I have, I've kind of turned this into a business. And uh, so now I can, you know, I can use the excuse, well, hey, babe, I got to get out. I got to go, you know, this is how I make my money now. I got to, I have to buy that tree stand or I have to buy, That's right. buy that. Uh, but some guys don't get to use the, that excuse. So I feel, I feel uh, pretty spoiled. Yeah, well, we're we're all spoiled in different levels, and and I can tell you from teaching hunter education that you know there's there's definitely those stages of whatever a hunter's going to be, whether that's the limiting out stage or whether they become the mentor stage. But being a dad, being a parent, is the greatest gift in the world. Uh, yeah. It comes with prioritizing everything, and and I'll be honest with you, uh, I didn't realize the sacrifice that my mom and dad made to raise me and my brother the way they did until I become a parent. And right. um, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it, at some point in time, no matter how much of a diehard we are for being a bow hunter or, or trying to chase white-tailed deer and, and trying to kill big, mature deer, um, everybody gets everybody becomes you know full circle in, in the scenario because you'll get back to where you may be on a hunt with somebody, and it may not be the best – white-tailed deer management game but uh you know you you're going to go back to where you see a young person shoot a button buck or shoot a basket rack and you're going to realize that 
why me and you can have our standards and our objectives and a mission of what our season's going to be hold, um, it it does bring us back to where we started in the grassroots of, of archery and hunting. And it is, it is traditional, and it's an heritage. And uh, with all the stuff that's going on in the world today, it's uh, it's good to let a kid take all the stress off of you, whether it's bills or, you know, things that are going on at work or situations with people in your family who are aging and suffering in bad health. It's uh, a young person can teach you a whole lot, whether they're your kid or somebody else's. You know, I never I never really thought of it that way, but you put it into really good uh, perspective. And this conversation is almost less about hunting and more about life. But yep. my every time I have a real shitty day at work, or, you know, I have something bad has happened to me. Like recently, um, all of my social media accounts have been hacked and disabled. So mm. the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Sportsman's Nation uh, have no social presence right now because a hacker went in, posted something nasty, and Facebook cut me off. So now I have to, I'm going mm. through this, this really long, drawn out process of trying to find someone to help me get those you know all that's uh reinstated and I've, I've been thinking a lot about that lately and then last night you know i'm in a real bad mood i take like five minutes and i'm rolling around on the floor with my boys and we're tickling each other and we're wrestling with each other and you forget about all that so you put it into a really good perspective of of no matter how bad your life is, you just take some time and play with your kids and you can stop thinking about it for just a little bit. That's right. That's right. And, yeah. and I'll, and I'll be the first to tell you, um, I think part of maturing as a hunter is, you know, we, we all, we all go through it. Uh, we, when we're at work, we're thinking about hunting and, and, uh, our, our year revolves around it. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle for you. I've listened to you for a long time and, a lifestyle to a lot of people are going to be listening today and everything revolves around certain months and everything revolves around when we're going to put cameras up and when we're going to hang stands and when we're going to go talk to landowners and when we're going to scout public tracks of ground and when we're going to print our maps out and put our folders together and you know we have a strategic plan and that, that's part of being a hunter and a successful and consistent hunter is to have a plan and to have a strategy and no one ever makes a strategy on when you're going to be a dad or when you're going to be a mom or whether you're going to have a little boy or a little girl, but, um, they can, they can do a lot for us. And, and I can tell you that one of the most rewarding things in the world is to have your child look at you and say, dad, I want to go hunting or dad, can we go put out a trail camera or dad, can we go put some mineral out for the deer or mix a potion? And you know, that that's when it really matters. I mean, it's, there's days Dan, that I completely screw up my hunting areas because of the fact that my little girl wants to go to the woods with me. And there's yeah. other days, it doesn't matter what I do, she doesn't want to go. Yeah. And that may be the day that I really need to go, but that's just the part of maturing as a man that you got to realize and understand that your priorities are not always going to be killing a mature white-tailed deer. And mm -hmm. that may be a goal, but your priority should be to be a good father. And, um, you know, the, the longer that we live this life and the further we go in life i would much rather have my son or daughter hunting with me when i'm 60 years old than be 60 years old and not even know what my son or daughter's doing yeah. you know so it's it's something that we're building it's like a big investment uh, it's frustrating but it's you know being a good dad is is it's a challenge and it's a chore 
And it's something that hopefully our investment will, will come down the road. And, and that's, and, you know, that's really what we're trying to do with Scholastic 3D Archery, too, is, is not every kid's got a good parent, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and, and maybe we can work with some folks in some communities and get some of these other kids out and about and do some things that will give them a more productive lifestyle or at least figure out a way in which they can utilize their time and have a productive hobby to where eventually one day, you know, they, they become a, not only a productive person in society, but still remember what family is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a perfect transition to get into today's main topic. And that is the scholastic 3d archery. Why don't you just break that down for us? What it is, what it entails and, uh, and, and I guess how it all works. Yeah, well, Scholastic 3D Archery is is no different than any other uh, structure to organize sport for youth, really, when it comes down to it. It's it's basically people have a common interest, and there's some rules, and if you apply by the, uh, the guidelines that these rules have you follow, uh, in the end, you can maybe somewhat pick a winner and, and show that you're good at a certain discipline. And so with Scholastic 3D, uh, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about NASP and some other archery programs. What's very unique about Scholastic 3D is all the different classes that people uh, can get out there and try their luck at competitive archery. And so anywhere from the age range of 8 to 18 years old, and there are a couple ways that you can get around those uh, those guidelines, we're, we're putting kids – on a line we're putting kids out in the field shooting 3d targets or shooting indoor targets uh or outdoor targets and more or less letting them get involved with competitive archery at a young age so that they can have a bow that is set up to a certain poundage and and meeting all the regulations as far as how many feet per second it has to fall in to be in that particular class but instead of everybody going out there and just shooting a bow that's exactly the same as everybody else's, um, this is allowing kids to step up their game and, and starting to get into more or less specialized equipment as long as it fits into the guideline so that they can change their poundage and change their sights or change whatever string or rest or, or accessory they want to put on their bow as long as it fits in that guideline. It's allowing these kids to go out there and get – really familiar with the competitive side of archery and and where i come in the game is where we build that bridge between our nonprofit organizations and our state agencies to see that this is a really low-hanging fruit right now especially with all of the concerns and and uh, focus being put towards the fact that a lot of places are seeing a decline in hunters and so my job is to try to figure out do we have a good way for these kids that are involved in competitive archery to step forward or ask the question, uh, can you take me hunting or what do I need to do to become a hunter? And it's, it's working and it's working very successfully. And, and, uh, you know, we've got kids all across the country that are not only competitive archers, but they're, they're great. And, uh, what they're doing out in the field as far as hunters and conservationists too. Right. So let me ask you this. Is this organization tied into a school or is this like an after school activity? Okay. Scholastic 3D Archery is an after school program. And so what that would entail would be, for example, if a if a student at a local high school where you live at wanted to go and get involved with competitive archery, it's more or less a, a, a step 
outside of school and an extracurricular activity so that they can go and get involved in competitive Okay. All right. So it's, it's not like, it's not like football is with it's paid for by the school district and stuff like that. This, this is uh, an extracurricular activity. Let's say like my daughter is in dance, but it's not through the school. That is, that is correct. Okay. All right. So Um, what are we talking uh, um, on something like this? What are we talking about for fees? Is, are there dues or fees, or is this something that it's non-for-profit, so it's it's helped funded by somewhere else? Right. There's definitely some some great backers in the program. Um, it's like anything else. Sponsorship is always good. Sponsorship is looked at not on the aspect of being profitable. The sponsorship is looked at as far as how can we get kids engaged and where can those funds be utilized. Um in partnership with the Archery Trade Association, S3DA works um, in a way to where each of the individual clubs will have some fees to get started. Uh, there is a membership. Different places do it different ways, um, but those fees are all set. You can go to s3da.org on the website, and you can see how that's done. Different clubs are going to have things set up different ways, and, and uh, but in, in the end, you do have to be a member. And in part of that membership, it's going to allow you to go and, and shoot with your local club and to go out and be competitive at the sanctioned event. So, Gotcha. And does the organization help with the cost of the, the gear, or is that something that is needs to be provided by the parents or the family? Yeah, so most of your shooters are going to have all of their own equipment, and they're going to have everything that they need to shoot, but... There are always going to be people, if kids want to shoot, there's going to be people that are going to find a way to get equipment in those kids' hands. There's programs and grants that are developed so that kids can have equipment. There's different ways in which kids can purchase equipment at a discounted level on the aspect that they are a member. There's ways in which coaches are in buying programs to where they can supply the members on their team with discounts. So there's a whole lot of people on this train uh, that are moving forward with a realistic aspect and approach of how do we get these kids set up and how do we get them equipped? Because you know as well as I do, it it doesn't take a whole lot of time in an archery shop these days to go in there and drop $1,000. But we can also tell you that there's a whole lot of bows that are out there that are being specifically made, and we're working with several great manufacturers to have bows that are labeled and and licensed with s3da so that kids can have somewhat of a offset and a break Uh, it's going to help them meet the poundage and the feet per second everything for the classes but uh, there's there's not anybody dan that we've gone to and explained to them what's going on and and they don't know the realization that yes there's going to be cost to these kids and and there's I, i don't know of a single kid in the country that's competing or not competing and S3DA based on the aspect that funds were ever short. Um, yeah. We're, we're going to figure out a way to get it done. So Right, right. What uh, What's the age range here? I mean, when when do these kids start the program? Okay, so officially, if you go to the S3DA rule sheet, um, you're going to see that your classes are going to start at the age of eight. Um, it's like anything else. If people can show to a coach that they're safe and can – 
carry out and do things. There's always an exception to the bylaws and the regulations of, of what they do. But the main the main ages of kids are from elementary school at eight going through hopefully where they're in their senior year of high school at 18 and, and moving forward going into a college or a career. And that's a, that's a whole other aspect of things. We're trying to figure out how to work with kids to get them involved on the conservation side and how to make them uh, become a, a hunter or a sportsman to where they're buying a license to help out with revenue for the other uh, state agencies and also to pass on a, a hobby and a sport. But the amount of kids that are getting to go to college to shoot a bow because they're involved with uh, a, a form of some type of competitive archery is is unreal and it, it's kind of a lot like these fishing teams now at, at 41 years of age i can tell you when i went to high school if you missed school to shoot your bow or to go fishing you were in the principal's office now kids that are shooting their bows and going fishing they're standing next to the principal with ten thousand dollars and twenty thousand dollar and full ride scholarships going off to colleges and universities so that they can represent the university as an angler and archer which is pretty cool when you think about it so do some of these like bigger schools have uh, collegiate archery teams that go around the country and compete? They do. And, and some of your smaller schools have, have archery teams too. So it's, it's interesting if you ever get into the, if you ever get into the research side of it and, and get some time uh, to look up collegiate archery and, and what it consists of, because you're you're getting into you know bare bow and Olympic recurve and you'll get into your compound and open classes and and all kinds of different sectors of archery. Which I'll tell you that's that's not my strength. My strength is working with kids and conservation and and starting people into the field to become license holders. But you know when me and you sit down and we we break all this apart, you know before I even talk to you today. I was on the phone with a rep from the ATA and, you know, there's, there's a big gap right now between competitive archers that are license holders and aren't. But think about this too. When, when most of us, when me and you look at our friends, when they get their bows out, if season starts September 1st, they're like busting the bow case open in August and figuring out what's wrong, what needs to be done at the bow shop. And they're shooting a few in the backyard and then they're off to the stands. Well, with competitive archery and and collegiate archery and and all of the different sanctioned archery contests and and levels of events that are going on, there's people shooting bows 365 days a year, Dan, that could outshoot me and you any day of the week, but they don't hunt and fish. And the question is, is how do we how do we bridge that gap? And so um, while a lot of kids are holding a license and they're out in the field and they're hunting and fishing, there's a lot that aren't. So yeah, the the smaller schools, the bigger schools, it doesn't matter where you turn to. It's, it's kind of like us. Some people duck hunt, some people deer hunt, some people shoot competitive archery at a collegiate level. It's just you don't know until you ask or you start digging into it. Right. How many years have you been doing this? I have been involved with archery and conservation for over 20 years of my life. I, I come on this past fall with S3DA to move forward with the momentum of, of developing a conservation uh, curriculum for the members so that they can understand um, another important aspect of things too. And, and that is, even if we can't get people to transition over to be a hunter, 
I want to make sure that we've got people on our side that at least understand hunting as a productive tool and and conservation. So when I was asked to come over and join the team to get more youth involved with hunting and to work with some NGOs and state agencies on trying to get some traction and the efforts of R3 efforts and conservation efforts to more or less keep our army full of soldiers in the in the license holder area and and in the field of anglers and and hunters it's that's not too hard for me to do because it's what my passion's been for my whole life it's uh me and you are about 10 or 15 years too late big boy like we're we're trying to we're we're trying to figure out you know you're you're doing your podcast and you're making a living out of it but but think about if we were 10 or 15 years younger right now with yeah. the era in the movement with YouTube and podcasts and conservation and getting more hunters and field to fork. I mean, we just, we're old men in it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but, but, and we're, we're good at what we do, but think about these guys now, you know, when I was 20 years old, this, this wasn't the push and the support. I mean, I, I see nothing but a big rally coming and, uh, you know, there was no QDMA when I was growing up. We had, we had Buckmasters and there wasn't, uh, a whole lot of stuff going on on YouTube. I was watching TNN outdoors, you know, and, um, right now we've, we've got a group of hunters like yourself that are advocates and, and, uh, we're moving forward and, and we're moving forward in a lot of ways. We're, we're calling an ace and ace and a spade a spade. And we're remembering what hunting's all about. So we, uh, right. We've, we've got, we've got an awesome, awesome traction right now. Let me ask you this. Um, I, I'm not sure where I got this, uh, where where I got this, uh, information from, but I I read a statistic some time ago about, uh, kids who are like a whole bunch of troubled kids, like troubled kids. They got in trouble a lot. Uh, maybe they didn't come from the best home, but when they got introduced to archery, they took to it like fish and water. Do you have any examples Mm -hmm. or data to share with us about, like if a kid gets into drugs and alcohol, you give him a bow and some arrows and, and introduce him to something, and and then all that the negative stuff goes away. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't have any statistics that I can pull off of like a chart or yeah anything. I, I can tell you what I do have. Um, you ever heard statistic uh, don't lie, but statisticians do. You know, yeah, I've uh, heard that. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a big believer that um, any time that you put something in somebody's life that has some type of form of discipline and commitment to where they're dependent on themselves to get results. I'm all about team. Don't get me wrong, but you, you think about it. You go out and you you shoot your bow in the backyard, and if if you have a group and it's four inches, well, the next time that you shoot a group, you're you're wanting to make your group two inches or you want to concentrate. So that data, uh, I don't know where you pulled it. I, I would agree with it and I would advocate for it. And the aspect that I've never seen anybody ever, ever that has picked up a bow and at least gave it a shot, turn around and walk away and say, I hate that. Yeah. Never seen it. Um, what I have seen is I see a whole bunch of kids that run, run towards a bow and when they run towards that bow and they grab the arrows, they may not know their safety. So that's where me and you come in, and we're going to keep a range safe or whatever. But what's what's the first thing kids want to do when they go to the target? They want to run to it, right? They're yeah. excited. 
And so, and then what do they want to do? They want to run all the way back. Well, me and you, there we go. We step in again as mentors. You're not going to let kids run with an arrow. To, hopefully, we don't have an accident. But you want them to get calmed down. But, I mean, most of the time when you put kids on an archery range or you put kids with a BB gun or a 22 rifle, they're going to run out of ammunition. They're going to lose all their arrows or shoot all their shells, right or wrong. Right. You know? And right. I think it's just, you know, that's that's where we're at. Uh, data, statistics, I don't know. I, I think we spend too much time chasing data and statistics. Right. Um, I, I think there's a whole lot of people that have a job in this world that are trying to prove what works. And we've known what's worked for a long time. And what works is keeping kids engaged in the outdoors and keeping kids engaged in some form, shape, or fashion of discipline. And, and you think about somebody who's come from a, an abusive home or hasn't had the best upbringing, uh, and it's just you and the target, and you're you're drawing that bow back, and you're aiming at the target, and you, you have focus. It, it may be for the first time in their life they have control over something in their life. And, and they like that and it, maybe it feeds their soul. And, and, uh, you know, archery is a very addicting thing. And I can tell you from a older perspective now and in, in a middle age crisis of my life, I guess I used to shoot a bunch of arrows too, but now at 41, I realize it's more important to shoot 10 arrows, right. than it is to shoot a hundred arrows. And, and I think that there's just a lot of younger kids that they are taught that and they learn that now that uh you know they're, they're just trying to make themselves a, a better person and uh and that's probably the track that they're going on right there so yeah so uh, a little bit ago you mentioned something about low-hanging fruit right getting these mm-hmm. archery uh these kids who are already shooting archery to transition into uh buying licenses and becoming hunters what What's that transition look like? What are some of the obstacles that you have to go through? Because you mentioned that, and the first thing that I thought of was the same thing I, th- I, I think of when I go hunting. Somebody has to take me somewhere. Someone either has to come into the woods with me and be a hunter, or somebody has to uh, take me out and just drop me off and wait for me or come pick me up. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of motion there. It's not like mm-hmm. a, a school activity where I can drop you off and leave, and then I can come back and pick you up. Or I, you know, you, there's all these other things like, yeah, public land's great, but you got to have access to, to land. You have to... You know, if you have to know how to process your game, you have to know there's there's so much more to hunting than there is to just shooting competitive archery. And I know right. I know you're going to have a good answer for me, but what does that transition look like? And what are some of the obstacles that you have to face when getting a, a competitive archer into uh, being a an avid hunter? Okay, so with S3DA, we're blessed and fortunate because some of the most important things are already in place. Um, number one is there is some type of an adult or a mentor in their life. That could be a coach, that could be a parent, that could be a grandparent, that could be another uh, team member's parent, but they're surrounded with adult supervision. They're surrounded with mentorship. And that's where all these other programs are failing, hands down. It's not equipment. It's not land access. It's not our seasons. It's not the amount of game. We're failing because of the fact that there's people that want to go and hunt 
but they have to have someone to help them, period. Right. So we're not, I'm not going to open up this big crossbow debate, and I'm not going to open up this big debate on gun hunters or anything like that. But what, what I will tell you is this. There's a lot of data, going back to data and statistics, there's a lot of data that shows that we may be spend a lot of great time with youth early on in developing how we get more license holders out there and how we get more hunters and anglers out there. But what we realized was, let's just take, for example, let's take a kid from a low housing area or the inner city, and we have a great weekend with them, and we take lots of pictures, and we hashtag it, and it blows up on social media. We have a few good pictures, but more than likely, Dan, when that kid goes back to the environment that they come from, they probably have parents or guardians or grandparents who aren't going to take them back out and hunt and fish. Well, where Scholastic 3D shines is the parental support, the mentorship, the coaches, they're all there. So the question you're asking me is, is what's the transition, what's the period that you go through, and, and what obstacles do you face? Um, it goes back to us being men now. Um, we're not boys. Uh, we're not young men. We're men. And we we have families. And so time is a huge issue. And we have to make hunting a little bit more convenient, meaning that maybe we have an 18-acre partial of ground to hunt, uh, farm to hunt, just five minutes down the road from our house. And you know and I know that we're not going to go over there and kill a majestic whitetail. But it may be a spot that we can go and throw up some older heavy you know, stands that we currently don't use anymore. And we set a double set and we take a kid up and we let them shoot a doe or a little four pointer and we're good with it. I mean, you probably have ground that hasn't held big mature deer on it for a while and you're disappointed with it. You don't want to give it up, but you may not hunt it. You may stay in contact with the landowner and you don't hunt it. Well, you, you got to save those spots to take a kid. And, and maybe you do that in October when there is a gun season in and you're not using archery equipment because you know and I know that more than likely the, the best deer movement's probably not going to be on that weekend. It may be 86 degrees, and it's not the weather we want. It's not a front. It's not the right wind, but it's the perfect wind. It's a perfect day to take a kid out and let them kill a 35-inch, you know, seven-point basket rack, and we've changed that kid's life for the rest of their life. So it's we are in the position right now to where we have to become the man and the figure, the alpha male of what we've seen our fathers and our grandfathers up. That's where we're at in life. It's, it's people like me that have to sit down with people like Dan and sit down with other individuals and say, look, it's our time. To, it's our time to give back. Like somebody right. took us down to a farm pond and somebody took us out squirrel hunting. Somebody took us out to a hay bale to shoot a bow and we have to give back. It's, it's a give and take deal. And we went through a great stage of our life of soaking in information like a sponge. And, and me and you are both blessed that people turn to us to be a, a, a representative or they turn to us for advice, but we have to turn into a mentor. And so, when we look at what can we do or what is the transition of taking a competitive archer or taking a kid that's in drug recovery or a kid that's from a sexually abused home or a kid that's coming from a family who he has lost a father because he was killed in a farming accident or killed in action as a soldier or they lost their mother for cancer, whatever it is, whatever crazy situation it is, and there's a lot of them out there, 
we have to understand that me and you can make a difference. Right. And you have to be a selfish person, and you're going to have to give up some of your hunting time, and you're going to have to take that very daring step of sharing sacred ground that you have acquired and got permission to hunt on or you know about on public land that you don't know if anybody else knows about it, but you know that's a good spot. And you got to share. And it's just a point of becoming a man or becoming an adult or whether that's a female that's taking someone else out to hunt is the the fact is is to make that successful transition is we just absolutely have to give back there, right. there you can't buy that at cabela's you can't buy that at both fast pro shops you can't you can't put it on a gift card you just got to make time for a kid and if you don't make time for a kid something else or somebody else will whether that's a good person or a bad hobby right let me ask you about this um when i was young i i was i lived on a farm but and i and i knew that cows and pigs died to make food but for some reason Uh when my uncles would come back from a trap line and i uh you know i saw a whole bunch of dead raccoons and basically dead disney characters (laughs) in the back of their truck i got like you know i i didn't see it that 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 same way right i saw a dead animal compared to a dead cow which is going to be my food right some of these kids, and I'm sure that you have to deal with them, are they love archery, but they've never been exposed to the death of an animal like hunting. Mm-hmm. What does that conversation right. or transition look like? Yeah, well, it's it's real, you know. I mean, it's uh, some of my mentors in my life have always explained to me um, a kid's not ready to even go afield and, and take the life of an animal until they understand what life is in itself. And there, there's, there's a lot of truth in that. So I'm going to answer your question. I'm also going to add something to it. I, I think there's a whole lot of adults out there that push hunting onto their kids and push killing animals onto their kids, harvesting animals, whatever you want to call it. Um, when dad's ready or mom's ready or uncle Bill, uh, Bobby's ready to take them, but it may be that the kid is, is not ready. So for example, let's, let's take the whole hunting game out of it. There's a whole lot of kids that like to go fish and they like to catch a fish, but they, they have a heart, Dan, and they want the fish to go back home. Right. And they want the fish to swim away. When you trap and you hunt, it, it's, it's a different result. It's a different outcome. And the only way that I can tell you how you make that transition of accepting death more acceptable and in a way that is a little bit more polished and not so harsh and so just throwing someone right into it is where you do capitalize on conservation education and outreach and you explain to people about carrying capacity and population density and you explain to them how an animal is used and how it can be utilized but in the end um if me and you run a trap line today or me and you go and we harvest a uh, an animal today you've got to understand that that image is important and it's a whole lot more important than just cleaning an animal up for a, a good photo shoot session so that 
you can post it on your Instagram or I can post it on mine or we don't need to just clean that animal up so that it makes a good photo for a company to put it on their website. We've, we've got to realize that there's a whole lot of eyes that are going to see it. And those eyes aren't always going to be customers. Those eyes are going to be young people. So we've got to, we've got to respect that. Right. Yeah. It makes a lot of, makes a lot of sense, man. So other, uh, after, after that, right. Um, we've entered, we've introduced them and maybe they like it, but at the same time, a guy like you can only take on so much. And I, and I know that, that that's why there's importance to become mentors, but there's, it's more than just taking a kid one time and saying, do you like this or not? Do you want to keep doing it? I mean, um, I think right. I talked with uh, the QDMA one time and they said they did some research or had some data that said it takes roughly three years worth of mentoring before someone can go by themselves, you know, will will be interested enough to go by themselves. And with a kid, I take it it's much longer, especially if the, the parents don't hunt. What What is that like? Well, it's kind of like this. Um, me and you, it's November, okay? It's November 2021. How many weekends or how many days in November do you want to try to hunt? All of them. That's right. Every single one of them. And me and you have got to listen to people like QDMA and we've got to listen to, and they've got, you know, Hank does a really good job on, on promoting everything that they do. And they've got some really interesting ways in which they're, they're doing things that are different compared to what was done in years past. Um, the whole crew over there at QDMA and they're, they're a great partner with S3DA. Um, me and you, if we're going to pass on hunting to someone else, we've got to realize that, it may take three years. It may take three hours. It may take three minutes to get them hooked on it. You don't know. Everybody's an individual. But what I can tell you is this, is um, you're eat up with it. I'm eat up with it. Our spouses know that it's our lifestyle, and we're eat up with it. And, and we're driven people. We want to get better at it, you know. So now we have more budget, and now we have more knowledge about it, and we want to do better. Now we have less time. That's, that's where me and you are at as men, but these other kids and these younger people or new hunters, maybe they have more time. Um, so what I'm going to tell you is when you look at how long does it take to make a successful hunter, how long does it take for them to get addicted to it or accept it or call it a hobby or classify themselves as, hey, I'm, I'm a hunter? I don't know. I don't think anybody, I don't think any organization or anybody can answer that. But what I can tell you is this. I can tell you that as I age, I have to realize that a hunter may be someone who only gets out two days a year and a hunter may be somebody that gets out 200 days a year. And I would much rather have people fighting together because, unfortunately, when a person gets involved to the level that you're at and I'm at and others are at, when you get to the level to where you're more than just a hunter, when you're more to a state than just a license holder and you are a mentor and you are an advocate and then you start getting into the political and you start getting into the legislative aspects of what all this is and how many dollars are out there and how those dollars are being used for conservation and and what sportsmen do to help promote conservation and don't even know it based on Pittman robinson dollars or whatever it is duck stamps um it at some point 
I, I have got to accept the fact that because someone doesn't want to hunt every day in November like Scott and Dan and how someone's not going to revolve every weekend in November like Scott and Dan, that there's a person who's a hunter and they may have a crossbow and they may not hunt in any particular brand of camouflage and they are going to hunt and all they want is the meat because they want organic protein and they hunted a total of 6.5 hours out of the whole year and they're a hunter and I hunted 600 hours out of the year and maybe I didn't fill a tag and they did and they killed a spike Dan yeah and we're like gosh why'd they kill a spike there's so many does because it doesn't matter to them it, right. it's it's they're a different hunter than me and you but at the end of the day they're a hunter they have a legal license in their pocket and they're on our team and right. we're on their team. They did the exact and same so, thing we did. They bought the same tag. Yes, they bought the same license. That's right. So in, that's in right. a statistics, in, in the book, right, you look at the statistics, them and us are the same person. I mean, it's a, a same check mark for the same team. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and your information is going to be used as a source of data by someone else who is no more than just a bean counter. And as far as I'm concerned, it's time to stop counting beans and start, it's time to start planting beans. Like, and I, I mean that, like we put so much time, energy and effort into chasing data and let's segregate this much money for this. And let's do, I mean, if all we're wanting to do is look at something on paper right. and I get it, you got to have statistics to figure out what's working and what's not. But there's a whole lot of people that have got a whole lot of money and a whole lot of time invested and not a whole lot of results. So give the beans to the people that are planting them and raising them and getting a crop off of them and and get rid of get rid of your your weak part of your team. Um, we got to stop fighting too about this aspect of uh, you know what is a hunter or how many days a year should someone hunt or what weapons should they use. Um, I have my rights, you have yours, but in the end, I want to have a hunting season. Right. And um, if that means I have to share it with a gun hunter during November, I would much rather have that aspect than not having a hunting season at all because society is basically voting on the next political election ballot that we have to decide whether or not we're going to have a hunting season in Wisconsin or Kentucky. Or I want to make sure that people know how we need to control or at least have a voice in looking at EHD or what do we need to do as far as license increase in dollars. And I, I want, I want to have everybody on my side of the court. Um, right. so I think this is important as, as what is it that we do to raise a hunter or to get a hunter is, um, where is it that we can also get that person to have a voice in conservation? Um, that's, that's a challenge. That's a go. Um, and it, it goes back to, you know, three years, three months, three days, three months, I, I don't know. Some kids are ready to hunt, and some kids aren't. And some kids will never be a hunter. Some adults will never be a hunter. Right. So um, it's tough. And if you looked at your wife tonight and said, hey, babe, how about getting up at 4 a.m. in the morning and go sitting outside <laughs> in 26-degree weather? I don't no know thanks. if she's going to smile at you. No know? thanks. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we got to we got to realize that there's a lot of folks, too, in our state agencies. People are saying, man, why in the world are we having a season in October? Why do we have a gun season in October? Why do we have a gun season in August? Or why are they even considering it? Well, you know, to Dan and Scott, it may not be best for the deer herd, and it may not be best for the pressure, and it may not be best for our hunting success. 
but it may be best for the sport. Um, right. Whether that's Big on a picture. conservation effort or, or just getting people out there because the weather or because there's a break in the fall schedule at school and they feel like there's more opportunity for children to get out and hunt and they're not having to hunt in 20 degree weather. I mean, it's, there's so many different aspects of all this that me or you will never, we'll never figure out all the answers of the world. So it's right. just, it's not going to happen. Right. I agree. I agree. So let me ask you um, a little side question before we start wrapping it up here. Uh, the meat, the meat game, uh, you know, I think, Kids may not understand it near as much, but I think a parent would, let's say, especially a parent of somebody who is, is not, um, is not a hunter, but the, you know, implementing, oh yeah, well, we're going to eat this meat, you know, it's organic meat mm-hmm. and stuff like that. What's your experience with introducing maybe meat or, or animal byproduct, or and I shouldn't say that, but uh, venison or fish or whatever before the actual hunt does that make the transition easier it does in a lot of ways it's um you know there's a lot of people to this day that won't hunt because they feel like if they hunt and they take the life or harvest an animal um, they need to eat it right so they've had a bad experience on the table fair side so they don't hunt that's that's crazy um i think that there is an obvious issue um, out there when it comes to figuring out how we come up with this perfect crystal ball and and plan to to avoid all of these things is you know how do we face decreasing numbers of hunters and how do we get people to support hunting but but probably game preparation is one of the most important things and here's why um if me and you are walking by let's just say i, I remember going by chick-fil-a as a young kid walked by chick-fil-a and they were only in the malls then they would have people and they would pass those little samples out on a toothpick. And right now at, at my age, I walk by the, you know, it's, I think it's bourbon chicken, you know, and they give you that sample and what do you do? You go back and get some more, right? So, uh, summer sausage, jerky, um, deer bacon, any of those types of specialty meats, they're fantastic, um, on the aspect that everybody likes them. Um, it's a great way to introduce people into a conversation about hunting and game. Um, it it goes back to a good first experience, and that's going to be huge. It, it's important that people know what they're eating. You know, I mean, you don't want to have a big piece of silver skin on there and hand the kid a steak or an adult a steak and ask them if they like it because you know and I know exactly what it's going to taste like. And and game in general doesn't need to sit in the refrigerator marinating for seven weeks and two minutes to taste good you know it's but game does need to be prepared the right way and and it's a good way to to get people involved i mean i I do it at all different levels as far as getting them to cut it and debone it and and make their own product but uh, I, I don't know anybody or any amount of kids um that aren't fighting over jerky when they make it I, like i said i I've been teaching 21 years, and uh, dehydration of fruit and, and meat has always been an awesome topic with kids, and they love it. Uh, it's just taking the time to show them how to do it, just like we got to take the time to show them how to be a hunter. Uh, it, it's going to be it's going to be doing it right, and and I'm going to brag on a good friend of mine out in Utah. He uh, he told me one day. He said, Scott, you know the problem with all of this stuff is, he said, is people don't realize how much work it takes to show somebody how to do something the right way. And, 
and that's that's it, man. I mean, it it doesn't matter if we're preparing game. It doesn't matter if we're hanging a tree stand. It doesn't matter if we're tuning a bowl. It doesn't matter if we're field dressing game. It doesn't matter if we're putting ourselves in better physical condition and adjusting our diet for an out-of-state hunt and a change in elevation um, or budgeting our family's expenses so that we have enough money to buy a new bowl or to go on a trip. It just takes work to do things right. And if you don't do things right in your preparation and if you don't do things right in the delivery, your end result's failure. And so we can avoid that. We're smart enough to avoid that. It's just putting the time, energy, and effort into in that and realizing that all we're sacrificing is our time and in time we're rewarded from that sacrifice. So. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty simple math yeah. equation in the end. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Well, I tell you what, man, we're running up on time here. Uh, if people want to find out about Scholastic 3D Archery, where should we send them, and how can they get a hold of someone with any questions? Yeah, the, the best way to reach out to S3DA is going to be by visiting the website. That's going to be www.scholastic.com s3da.org and once they get there whether they're wanting to find a state coordinator um, if they're wanting to get in contact with myself or someone it it's all there underneath the contact section you can look at the headquarters office you can look at the coordinator and look at the board of directors and so it, it doesn't matter if people want to sponsor if they want to get their kids involved if they want to go help out um, if they just want to go see what an s3da event is like um, all that information is there, and of course, I'll I'll be willing to answer anybody's questions at, at any time. And all my contact information is on the website, and, and uh, so is so is the rest of the coordinators. So it, it's it's not hard to find www.s3da.org. Perfect. Uh, and we're going to close it down here. Any final uh, thoughts or uh, comments about getting youth involved in archery or hunting? It's not easy. That's yeah. it. It's a uh, it's a challenge. Uh, it's a very rewarding challenge, and uh, it's it's something that you just you got to decide that you're going to do it, and and you can't just put half into it. You gotta you gotta give it your all, and uh, in the end, you're not always going to have every kid that's going to take it and grab it and run with it. But I guarantee you there's kids that will take it, and that's that's what our job is 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 to at least provide that opportunity, Dan, and if they like it, great. And if they don't, there's a lot of other sports out there that they can get involved in. But I would much rather see a kid on a basketball court or in the archery range than showing up on that data spreadsheet or statistics that we were talking about earlier on some type of drug rehab or some type of juvenile detention center list. So um, it's it's our service, man. It's it's what we're on this earth to do now. It's it's where we're at in our life. And, and there's a lot of listeners that are in our age age class and and it's time for us to give back so that's that's what i'll close on give back because somebody gave to us and there you have it ladies and gentlemen another awesome podcast in the books huge shout out to scott Uh, i know he's busy but with what he does that has a very big impact on retention in hunting in the hunting community he is walking the walk and that's something that I feel that we all need to do and I feel that that's something that we need to showcase 
as uh, a hunting community. We need to make this guy, uh, you know, put this guy on a soapbox and hear him out because guess what? He's doing stuff. He's doing something. Uh, and a lot of us just aren't doing anything. And I tell you what, huge shout out to Scott for doing what he's doing and uh, paving the way for the next generation of not only archers, but uh, but bow hunters as well. So uh, congrats to uh, him on what he's doing. Other than that, huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast because without them, this is not possible, right? Uh, Vortex, the average conservationist, Prime Archery, Ozonic Scent Elimination, Wasp, Broadheads, Lone Wolf Tree Stands. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Again, because without them, this is not possible. So uh, thank you very much. Other than that, like like Scott mentioned, um, it's time to give back. So when you can and however you can, let's give back in some way, shape, or form, whether that's through a mentor, whether that's through conservation, whether that's through time, whether that's through a dollar. Um, you know you the best, so find your tr- strong suit and uh, let's try to give back, man. Uh, that's what 2020 is all about. So thank you very much. Again, if you have any insight that may help me with my Facebook, my Facebook and Instagram debacle, please let me know, man. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to uh, um, get those two accounts back up and running. And uh, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. And uh, I guess we'll talk to you next time.